Today's scripture lesson comes from Mark 15, verses 21. I invite you to follow along, and if you're at home, follow along on the screen. They compelled a passerby who was coming in from the country to carry his cross. It was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This morning I want to continue the sermon series that I began last week, a series titled, Were You There? My hope for this series is that it will lead us to some new insights or at least remind us of some old insights regarding the cross of Jesus the Christ as we view that cross from the perspective of some folks who were actually there last week. We looked at the crucifixion through the eyes of a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion. This week we'll look at it through the eyes of Simon of Cyrene. Once again, I've composed a letter. This letter is from Simon, and it's addressed to all of us. And it begins Noonan First United Methodist Church, 33 Greenville Street, Noonan, Georgia, 30263. To my sisters and brothers in Christ at Noonan First, greetings from Simon of Cyrene. Allow me to begin by distinguishing myself from all of the other Simons who are mentioned in Holy Scripture. Don't confuse me, please, with Simon the Zealot, the revolutionary, who belonged to the group of 12 apostles. And don't confuse me with Simon Peter, who was the leader of that group, aside from Jesus. And don't get me mixed up with the Simon who lived in Bethany. Jesus came to his house one day. You might remember that story. And he was anointed by an unnamed woman. And don't confuse me with, in the book of Acts, there's a magician called Simon. And there's a tanner of leather called Simon. And Judas Iscariot, you might remember, his father was also a Simon. But none of them are me. I'm simply known as Simon of Cyrene. So let me tell you a little bit about my hometown. Cyrene is a Greek city on the north coast of Africa. It was founded around 630 B.C. by Dorian Greeks from the islands of Thera and Crete. It received reinforcements of Peloponnesian settlers and became a prosperous city of Greeks living under the Libyans or among the Libyans. Cyrene was ruled by a dynasty of kings until the middle of the 5th century B.C. And the wealth there was based mainly on agriculture. We were an agricultural economy. Herodotus records that three crops could be harvested in one year. And the export of silphium, a plant that's in high demand as a spice and as a medicine, was a royal monopoly. And this plant happens to be pictured on our coinage. In the 4th century B.C., Cyrene was a democracy and required fame as the seat of a school of philosophers. The city submitted to Alexander in 331 and later became part of Ptolemy's kingdom. Bequeathed to Rome in 96 B.C., it was declared free. But after some local strife, 
Cyrenica became a Roman province and was united with Crete. In Hellenistic and Roman times, a large part of the population of Cyrene consisted of Greek-speaking Jews who were sent as settlers from the Ptolemies and enjoyed equal rights. I was a member of this group. So were Lucius, the prophet of Antioch, mentioned in the book of Acts, and also Stephen. You may remember Stephen, who was attacked in the synagogue to which the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians belonged. We Cyrenians were prominent among the Jews in Jerusalem and elsewhere around those parts. At the time when Jesus was involved in his earthly ministry, though, I was living in one of the country districts of Palestine. I was a family man. I was the proud father of two fine sons, both of whom became deeply committed to Jesus and to the early church. My son Alexander is mentioned in the book of Acts. And the apostle Paul refers to my son Rufus in his letter to the Romans. In fact, Paul spoke of Rufus as being imminent in the Lord. And any of you who are parents or grandparents know how proud it makes you when someone of the statue of Paul especially would say something good, bragging, something complimentary about a child or a, a grandchild. Goodness, if we had had social media in my day, you would have seen pictures all over the place. I was just proud of my youngins. And also, Paul mentions my wife. And she was a great and gracious, a brilliant and a beautiful woman. I'd heard of Jesus for two or three years. You know how word gets around about people, especially anybody who's different. Folks being healed, dead folk being brought back to life, sins being forgiven, women and children treated like real people the Pharisees and the scribes being challenged, the religious leaders, people were questioning them. They had the audacity to do that because they were hanging around this, this Jesus guy. I was hearing strange and unusual things. And that ragtag bunch of followers that he had, they said, follow him all over creation. Tax collectors of all people. Folks in the fishing business. And you know how bad those smokes smelt. If Jesus chose these folks, I thought to myself, he wasn't much of a personnel manager, was he? You wouldn't want to put him in charge of your human resource department. That's what I thought at first. But this was all before I met Jesus myself. It was Passover time, and I was in Jerusalem. And like all of the other pilgrims who were there, my first priorities was finding a place to stay, and my second priority was finding a lamb, a sheep, for the sacrificial meal. And these were no small task, since the visitors in Jerusalem at Passover time were about 100,000 folks crowded into an already crowded Holy City. On Passover Eve, proper, there were the ritual slaughter of the sheep and the goats at the temple. There was a sacrificial 
offering and the sprinkling of the blood against the altar, followed by a family meal, a meal that emphasized remembrance and commemoration, Passover, what happened in Egypt so many years ago when we were set free. I didn't realize at the time that I was sharing this meal with family and friends that Jesus and his closest followers were also observing the feast in a corner of the city not too far away in an upper room. Some say it was a monastery where the Essenes gathered. Jesus and his followers were there. It was Thursday evening. What happened the next morning changed my life forever. I was strolling down the street, minding my own business, not bothering anybody. That's a high compliment in your day and time, isn't it? If you just say of someone, well, they never bothered anybody. I was not bothering a soul. And I turned a corner and I found myself in the middle of a parade. <laughs> not really a parade, more like a protest march. It was a mob a condemned prisoner. Actually, there were three of them, but one in particular being led out of the city to be crucified. Imagine my surprise when someone from the crowd answered my question as to what was the name of this convicted and condemned prisoner, and they said, Jesus, this one I'd been hearing so much about. Next thing I know, a strong arm grabbed me and harsh commanding authoritative voices were saying, carry this. And then to my horror, they placed this wooden beam, the patibulum, they placed it on my back, the crossbar. And it was heavy. It was rough. And for a moment, I imagined myself being nailed, tied and nailed to that torturous object and raised up on a pole, a pole that was already in place, maybe a tree trunk that was, was cut off several feet from the ground. And that awful skull-shaped hill, Golgotha, everybody back then knew where that was and what it reminded folks of. But then I realized I was only carrying it for him because he was so weak. He had been scourged. He had been whipped. He had been beaten and he had been without rest for several days and nights. I was carrying it for him. Soon I would come to the understanding that he would be hung upon it for me. What did Jesus have to say to me? Nothing, nothing. But when our eyes met, I've never seen such eyes. And that face, I've never seen a face just like that. And those eyes, when our eyes met, I could read in his eyes gratitude and love. Not sentimental, serpy kind of love, not the way that some folk use that word, but a love so deep beyond comprehension. And I knew that this man was different different from those who would be nailed up on either side of him, different from you, different from me, different from anyone in that mob. I could have been on my way when we reached the top of the hill, but I stayed. 
I felt compelled to stay. Not the kind of compulsion that the soldiers used when they told me I had to carry that, that crossbar, but a compulsion whose force was mightier than all the armies that had ever marched, ever would march. Call it mercy, call it grace, call it a love that would not let me go. Were you there? I was there. I was there at first anyway because I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or was I? And the letter signed Simon of Cyrene, a crossbearer. And that's the end of the letter. But after I read that letter, I wanted to sort of put a PS on it. I wanted to talk for a moment or two about some of the things that his letter reminded me of, just some, some things that kind of passed through my mind. Thinking about that right place, wrong place, right time, wrong time. How often have we used that kind of expression in, in our own day and time? When things have happened, when circumstances have brought us to a particular situation or a particular place, and sometimes we say, I was just in the right place at the right time, or I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, or wrong place, right time, just a lot of ways that can happen, but we, we use that expression, place and time. And if we stop and think about it from a scriptural standpoint, two ways that time is looked at in the Bible. One way is chronos, chronological time. That's calendar time and clock time. We, we live by that. And the other way is kairos, fullness of time. In the fullness of time, when the time was right, God sent forth an only son. And scripture is full of references to chronos and kairos. What time was it? What time is it? And being in the right place at the right time makes me wonder, does God move us around like pieces on a chessboard, like pawns sometimes, making sure we're here and here and moves us here and here and things happen because of where we are at the time? Does God act randomly like that? Or are there more to it? Are there reasons behind it? I think of right time and right place. And over the years, the times that I've been able to walk into someone's room at home or in a hospital or a assisted living facility, just as they were beginning to transition into the next life. And I thought, right place, right time, wrong place, wrong time. Could I be of any help? Well, there was a great sadness there, but a great hope as well. Maybe you can think of some times and places where you ask those questions. Why am I here right now? And then all through scripture, let me mention just a few. I think about Moses back in the Old Testament. Moses and his mother putting him in the basket. And the Hebrew word for basket is the same word as the word for ark, a vessel of salvation being placed in that basket, being found by Pharaoh's daughter, growing up in the palace. Was there a reason for that, that place and that time? And then seeing the Hebrew 
being abused and murdering the Egyptian and, and fleeing. And later he became a shepherd. Right place, right time, the burning bush. Did that just happen? And then being called to leave his comfort and to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Right place, right time. Was Moses the right guy? And then all through the New Testament, about the woman at the well in Samaria. She came at noon. Most of the women came to draw water in the morning or in the evening. But she had a reputation and not a good reputation in that community. And so she would come at noontime when hopefully there would be no one else there. But there was a stranger there and it was Jesus. And that amazing conversation they had. And she would eventually go back to her family and friends. Come, see, come meet a man who's told me everything about me. And her life was changed in a good way. Jesus just happened to stop by that day. She just happened to be at the well, right place, right time. Or the woman who had the issue of bleeding for 12 years and had spent all her money and the doctors and the phony physicians and others couldn't heal her, but they took her money. And Jesus was passing by. She pushed her way through the crowd and managed to touch the tassel or the hem on his garment. Right place, right time. Some would say, no, wrong place, wrong time. You don't touch a male in public like that. It was so wrong in so many ways, and it was so right place, right time. The man who was by the pool for 38 years, waiting for someone to move him in when the waters were troubled. He waited a long time to be in the right place at the right time for Jesus to come along and heal him. By his touch, not by the superstition he had lived with all his life that if you got into the water first, you'd be healed. And then one more, right place, right time. It's the, the road to Emmaus on Resurrection Day. Cleopas and probably his wife, probably Mrs. Cleopas, walking down the road and a stranger joins them and it's Jesus and they don't recognize him until they invite him home and he breaks the bread and their eyes are open and they knew who he was. Right place, right time. They just happened to be walking along that stretch of road, maybe seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And one other thing, keeping Simon's letter in mind about this right place, right time. We always say, or we usually say, right place, right time, when something's going our way, when something works out, when something is like we want it to be. But with God, right place, right time, doesn't always mean that what's happening is easy. And it doesn't mean that it's convenient. We might say wrong place, wrong time when those things happen. But from God's perspective, keep in mind, Right place, right time. It's good that we are together and are a part of God's church here at noon and first. The right place and the right time to make a difference in this world. Amen.